0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Z-Prime on the Grid, our show about issues concerning the energy industry. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me, as always, is research analyst Aaron Hardick. How are you doing, Aaron?
1: I'm doing well, Dylan. We're wrapping up the year, so the rest of the team is here in Austin. I'm excited to see everyone.
0: Yeah, we've got a real smorgasbord of Z-Prime content contributors here with us today. Um... We've, we're all sitting around a table. We've got uh, my friend, senior advisor, Shea Fabade. How are you doing? Hi,
2: I'm doing well. Good to see everyone, as Aaron just said.
0: Yeah, welcome, welcome back to the podcast. Um, we also have Director of Research Programs, Aaron Otan. How are you doing, Aaron?
3: Hey, Dylan. I'm doing well. I'm excited uh, that you're here in Austin and excited for my first ever podcast appearance.
0: That is not technically correct, because <laughs> you were... You were our first podcast guest. We just didn't upload the episode because it was to test our equipment and (laughs) editing.
3: That is true, but I think I had a made-up job, etc.
0: We talked about ice cream for like 45 minutes. Yes. It was amazing. (laughs) And um, we have back on the show Director of Research and Content, Chris Moyer. How's it going, Chris? Hi, Dylan. Good to talk to you. Uh, As we did last year, so it is, of course, officially tradition now, we did a wrap-up of 2017 uh, where we pretty much nailed everything that happened during the year and we made some predictions about 2018 so I'm uh, excited to sort of go back in uh, how much of, how much of that do you how much of those hard-hitting predictions do you remember Aaron H?
1: Off the top of my head, or now that I've reread the document, <laughs> I I have to admit. Don't that, let him
0: look behind the curtain, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs>
1: this I is admit, all off the cuff. It's always, I mean, of course, throughout the year, you start to focus on new things as they emerge. But some of the things that we covered in the wrap up episode last year definitely came to fruition, and you were you are right, Dylan. We we hit the head on the nail for a lot of these things. However, I mean, I think we were off on some, but we'll we'll get to those.
0: All right. Well, then let's dive right into it. Um, so, just going back over what we talked about last year, um, one of the one of the things we talked about was uh, grid resiliency, and we we thought that maybe microgrids are going to take we're going to become a bigger part of that resiliency uh, equation. So, uh, Chris. Were we, were we right that microgrids were going to take off as a result of the storms in 2017? I would say for the most part that the prediction that, that microgrids would become
4: an increasing part of the energy landscape is correct. We may have been a slight bit early on this predict- prediction. Uh, there's, there's a degree to which all of these predictions fall in the continuity of business planning. And utilities... By and large, have started to recognize the importance of microgrids. Working with some of their large CNI customers to provide different uh, energy solutions for them, and and ultimately, it just takes time to put those into practice. Uh, Aaron and I were talking about this before uh, the start of this show, and we w- we just had this conversation that that in fact, if you look at what was started to started to be planned in 2018 we got this prediction right on the nose but if you look at what was built uh we're a little bit we're a little bit premature what what are your thoughts on that erin
1: i think that's exactly right we were uh we were in line with the idea that microgrids will be continued uh, continuously pursued and developed within utilities however i don't think it really hit that mass scale because a lot of successful projects around microgrids are very particular to the individual needs of that project. A lot of people were toying with this idea of microgrid being kind of plug and play, uh, straight off the shelf. But most of the successful microgrid deployments, like we saw with Ameren in particular, is very tailored to the specific needs and objectives that those communities or utilities were trying to achieve. and. Since that is so specialized, I don't think that microgrids really became this really hot trend that a lot of people were focusing on. I think it was just kind of this research and development area that some people found success in, but not this really wide media frenzied success that some people may have thought it would be. But I, I think it was there was a lot of improvements in this area.
0: Another prediction we, we talked about was uh, greater deployment of Internet of Things, IOT. Uh, Shay, did we see a greater deployment in usage of IOT in 2018?
2: Uh, yes, I think that would be, uh, hit the nail on the head one again, because, um, interestingly though, I'd, I'd suggest we saw more deployments on the IIOT side, on the industrial side, um, which is unsurprising considering adoption tends to start from businesses realizing there is monetary value in uh, using these things. Uh, and I believe we'll continue to see a lot more adoption as um, the convergence between DR and IOT kicks in over the next uh, few years with, with more consumers starting to believe they can derive some benefits from it. Um, Caveat there though is the uh, novelty factor is starting to wear wear off a little on the IoT smart home side. So, um, but yeah, the prediction was was correct for the most part.
4: Well, I, I got a question about that, and uh, Shay, if, if you have an answer, that's great. Or anybody can can talk about it. You, this this concept of the novelty wearing off when it comes to the smart home device is that just because we've we haven't quite crossed the chasm of widespread adoption of things like smart refrigerators smart TVs smart appliances throughout the, the home and so w- w- was that still to come in in a, to a degree or is this was this just a a, a fad that never quite caught on
2: um, so in the we actually have some research we did, we did a survey asking people um, if they had smart home devices. And what so one of the interpretations of the results from the data is um, you had few people having bought smart home appliances, but those people buying a lot of smart home appliances. So um, you have homes with five Echo home hub, You'll find people who, for the novelty, will get multiple appliances, uh, smart smart um, devices. Um, but for the broader market, there are only three buckets of of value you can get from a smart home device: comfort, convenience, or security whether we accept it or not, most people are actually just fine with their Brinks home security system right. that allows them to call someone if there's a, uh, that triggers someone if there's a problem. Um, and the folk who would jump to the market and buy the Ring device or the Amazon security device, they bought it. So uh, not saying we won't have more sales, not saying the, the market has plateaued or anything, It's just a case of the use cases for those devices in the home. Once it's satisfied, you're not rushing out to buy anything. Juxtapose that uh, consideration with all the privacy issues we're starting to see with some of the technology we're using. Um, Facebook, which is sort of tangential, but probably knows more about Every one of us than most of the companies, um, apart from maybe Google, they've admitted to further breaches um, in terms of security now. People hear that and recognize that, oh, Facebook also has a an in-home smart home device. I'm not about to buy that, regardless of how cool it might be, knowing they're not handling my online security well, properly. So... It's, it's an interesting time the industrial side will continue to see adoption um, operational efficiencies uh, logistical improvements but the home I don't know
4: yeah this is something you've you've written about uh, from the from the home side and I, I think your perception was that utilities have missed the opportunity to, to get in on on this wave of innovation yeah I, I would argue that at this point, uh, because it has not reached mass saturation uh, and mass penetration of the marketplace, that as you say, if, if a person owns a Nest, uh, they probably own the Echo and they probably own a smart TV. <coughs> but if they don't own one of those devices, they don't own all of them. And so there's still the opportunity to capture Another forty percent of the marketplace mm. over the next few years, a good if point. programmatic solutions could be put into place in 2019, where a utility creates rebates, creates incentives a good point, to, yeah. to 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 get into
2: that market. That's a it's, a it's a I I will concede on that point. I think there's a there's a chance there.
1: That's actually what most people will talk about um, in terms of IoT today. This whole Metcalf's law. Theory: the more devices we put on these networks, the more valuable they'll become. But we have to position the network to even be valuable with more devices on it in the first place, and build it appropriately. Uh, so that's just where I think that's really where the IoT conversation is right now.
0: Uh, one thing that I talked a little bit about last year, but didn't really get to, didn't really get to delve into, is this notion of energy equity, which I know that you're really uh, Involved with, and I was pretty certain that as customer engagement became a higher priority for utilities, that this was going to be an issue that would start coming to the forefront. Is there anything that you saw over the year that would confirm that?
3: So I got to attend an event last week, and I saw Anne Promajor the CEO of Exelon Utilities, um, give a keynote speech about her plan for the coming years, and really talking about how the grid can serve as a platform. Um, to enable a lot of applications that will help customers, and she laid out a series of five pillars for reimagining the grid, and then as a sixth pillar, she added um, social equity, which Dylan, you and I like to talk about a lot. Um, so it was it was heartening that she mentioned it and talked about it, um, but someone in the audience brought up that out of you know her five top pillars it's only the sixth pillar behind there um, so like I said I think it's heartening that she mentioned it and some other people at that event did bring up um, issues around social equity but there's definitely a lot of room to bring it into the conversation
4: I think this point of social equity really speaks to what we were just talking about when it comes to IOT mm-hmm. there's, there's just a, a large percentage of the, of the people uh, in this country and worldwide that can't take advantage of these smart devices right now, that can't take advantage of solar PV on the, on the rooftops. They live in multifamily housing, and those units are not, uh, uh, for, for cost reasons, for incentivization reasons, they're not putting solar PV on these multifamily units right now. So... It's, it's, these, it's the, these individuals at the lower end of the economic spectrum that simultaneously can't afford the, the higher-end technology and feel the greatest impact of, of things like climate change and uh, environmental conditions in their neighborhood. So it's a real catch-22 and one that I'm glad that Anne Parmajor is talking about. And this is something that we're going to be talking about at, at uh, the WE3 event in March. This is something we're going to be talking about at ETS. This is going to be a major focus of our research in
0: 2019. Good event, plugs. That's why you're the boss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I want to ask about uh, storage now because we, and many others, not just us, we're, we're confident that storage was going to be a big solution promoted in 2018. Do you think that that was, turned out to be the case?
4: I think to a degree we've missed the mark on on. Saying that 2018 was the year of storage, uh, there's a lot of work that still needs to be done, and this is the third leg of the distributed energy resource stool right now, uh, that will ultimately move the, the grid from being uh, asset, uh, utility-owned asset down the line to the customer. The battery storage is is an essential piece along with with solar PV and with wind. But until that battery storage comes to full fruition, we're not gonna be able to see the, the large-scale penetration right now. And so it's, it's a little bit of that the technology is not quite there, and it's a little bit of the price being too high for the, the truly high-end technology. It's still coming. 2018 wasn't the year we saw uh, as, as the turning point for it, it having widespread adoption.
1: It it was not the turning point, but we did see a lot of things put in motion this year that are going to drastically impact storage, storages' impact on the grid. FERC is now allowing storage to play in national wholesale markets, and that is game changing because of how easily dispatchable storage is. It really brings this new this new um, perspective or it really it really shakes things up in the wholesale market because of storage is now going to be leverage and uh, people are going to value stack on storage more so than they can before and that's this big thing around storage how do you get multiple value streams multiple revenue streams from one deployed battery and opening up Um, markets to allow these people to try to get more value out of these batteries is what's going to push storage into being very, very impactful on delivering electricity, um, both from the utility perspective and managing and shifting load on the distribution grid. Uh, So I think that the policy was set in place, and 2019 is when we'll see people figure out how to actually stack these values, how do you actually figure out the economics behind storage? Because that was one of the biggest things hindering storage's capability was really the economics, and currently the economics behind it in the market.
2: Yeah, this is a fantastic point on, on FERC. And um, one thing we're starting to see a little bit more, even with um, the announcement today of Google's uh, Google X spin-off getting about $26 million or so for their um, uh, molten salt storage uh, startup. The companies doing work in this space are starting to decide, you know what? We will pick one use case instead of this catch-all storage uh, solution that will play along the stack, as you said. We're going to focus on frequency regulation or whatever it is that you think the most economic value can be for the storage um, system you will be bringing to the grid and um, I think that focus across the ecosystem will play into some of the regulatory uh, flexibility the companies now have and um, there's a bunch of work going on um, 2018 wasn't the year I, I, I don't think 2019 will be the year
4: Yeah, I would agree with that but It's uh, coming It's coming,
2: yeah um, And we might, we might turn around in 5-10 years And realise we're never going to see The holy grail moment But um, we would have moved further, much further along um, Both at grid scale But also at the, at the micro home level Because uh, I, I know of a few companies doing doing work um um, on the smart home slash storage uh, space as well but um i personally am disappointed in how uh how much we've not been able to take advantage of the the storage story though it's uh it's i i did some work um with um the nrel folk with um, I worked with a company, uh, an invest, uh, investment um, fund up in Chicago. This was five, six years ago, and um, not much has changed. I just looked at one of the spreadsheets where we listed all the storage projects grid skill going on in the U.S. And that list hasn't really... Some projects have been added, but it, it's, not, it's not even remotely close to, to, to what we were hoping for.
4: I, I think at this point it's it's just it's all about the economics. U- the utilities uh, can't get the kilowatt cost per hour in line so that it's affordable. And the question is going to be whether it's battery storage or or thermal storage. Uh, who gets there first? Do utilities get storage at utility scale uh, to, to to own that and provide? megawatt hours worth of, of electricity through storage, or does Tesla or other companies get there with, with, a, with the battery or electric vehicles to provide storage at, at the home level and, and really be a part of the distributed energy resource uh, mix? That's the question to me uh, that is as
0: yet unknown.
4: And it could be both. Yeah.
0: So, uh, and finally, w- uh, one more thing we talked about was customers being more vocal about concerns around data collection, commoditization, and security. Aaron Hardick, was this prediction correct?
1: Was that a serious question? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean of course, it, okay. yes, we saw, we see this in every conversation pretty much any utility has with anyone. How can anything the customer does Influent, how can it influence the utility and how can the utility respond in a meaningful way to better engage with that person? So yeah, I, I think we definitely hit the nail on the head with that one. I think
3: aside from utilities, just that question of data and privacy has been something that's been in the news all year long um, with respect to technology companies, social media. So um, it's a bigger issue than just at utilities in, in the energy industry, it really spans really our entire culture and society.
4: Yeah, I'd, I'd like to add on to that, Erin, and, and I think bridge the two the two points, that the two Aaron's made here. And to a degree, I think that the utility industry coming out of 2018 will feel like they potentially dodged a bullet uh, when it comes to the conversations uh, around the concerns of data privacy. It's been Facebook. It's been other technologies. It's been it's been Google that has that has borne the brunt of the media's concern and the customers' concern uh, around data privacy. So that gives the utilities the runway to figure this out. But if there is ever a data breach at a utility, then the the spotlight would focus on that. And and I think that. We, we, got this, we got this prediction right, that, that customer centricity is going to be a major focus. The data to lead to customer centricity is, is the underpinning of it. Where, where we were a little bit off was simply that, that there isn't the widespread concern from customers clamoring about, hey, protect, uh, protect my data. There are people that still talk about, hey, AMI is, is secretly spying on me. But there are also people out there that say the Earth is flat. So,
2: <laughs> but, uh, th- that sort of leads into the, um, and I borrowed this phrase from some other folk, um, probably leaning into the the things we expect to see a little bit here, but we're seeing it now, is as much as as people are expecting a lot more. Um, uh, work from utilities from companies around their own personal data they're looking for more transparency from those organizations the corporations that serve us we all want to know exactly what's going on with them Um, the employees are starting to clamor for more um, visibility into the decisions the organizations are making and so it's this it's almost two contrasting desires that customers are expressing and companies will have to figure out how to deal with that and we started to see that a little um, playing out already we want facebook to be super careful with our data but we want to know what facebook is doing as a business to protect us from other entities that are what are, are they making money from our data yes they are but who are you selling it to? It's, 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 it's fascinating. Um, we'll see how it plays out. Because it absolutely impacts the ability of a utility to customize an experience for a customer. Um, but then you have to be transparent with that customer. And we know that's not quite in the DNA of, of the utility industry. So At this moment. At this moment. well. DNA doesn't change. <laughs> Good point. That's, a, Good point. that's, a, that's a, a, another conversation for another day about w- what is the reaction. Do you fight the future battles with the army you have or just accept that this might be a lost battle and find a new business model? But. We could go on, yeah.
1: Rayford Smith, the Vi- vice president energy, actually touched on this at a, com- a conference Chris and Aaron and I were recently at. And I think the quote around it, and this is not verbatim, but off the top of my head, what he said was customers want the complexity, but they want the value to be easily extractable. Mm-hmm. And utilities are struggling with this. They want to deliver these customized experiences, but it's also very hard right now for utilities to drill down and what exactly does that experience need to be and how do we go about delivering it. And But this is, I think, also representative of just the amount of data that they're dealing with and the struggle to find value in the data. Um, but it, it's certainly something that we're seeing. And
4: yeah. Yeah. You know, Rayford will be actually on a, on a webinar that we have in, in January as well. So he's a very... Uh, thoughtful and, and quotable,
0: uh, friend of the pod, as the as friend the, saying, the, go, as the yeah. saying goes. <laughs> music. It was a great, yeah, we had a great conversation with him. Uh, uh, open question to the table: what's, a, what's a, what was an energy trend in 2018 that maybe we didn't see coming, uh, or that we or that didn't make our list that, that should have
2: Uh microtransit because we don't think about it as as the energy industry, but those scooters are all electric. It, it was it totally it caught me off guard, um, and you find um, most major cities now have e-scooter services, and then some cities like uh, like in France in in Paris, you have the US e-scooter companies dumping their scooters on the streets of Paris, and the Chinese e-scooter companies dropping their scooters on the streets of Paris, and it's this free for all. But guess what? All those things have to be charged at the end of the day. So it's very quickly impacting their grid. Um, n- I, anyone who said they saw that one coming is is really telling a toll to <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I was going to uh, sort of along the same vein say electric vehicles. Um, not that it was a breakout year for EVs, but I did hear people talk about them a lot at events that, we attended, um, and then just personally, I'm in the market for a new car. And uh, (laughs) so I've seen, I've been doing a lot of research and I've been seeing a lot of companies have fully electric vehicles coming out in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know that one of those is in my budget, but for the first (laughs) time I've actually considered like, hey, maybe I'll just get an electric vehicle. I think it's actually feasible. Mm. Um, It's not a scary
1: concept anymore. I would say one thing that t- stood out to me that when we were doing the 27 when we were doing the 2018 predictions I didn't think about however I don't think that nobody thought about this I just don't think it's as uh, popularized in the media and that is forgive me for geeking out about slightly accounting related things but <laughs> trying to determine now how uh, technology investment impacts financials. There is a lot of uncertainty r- around whether investing in technology is a capital expense and investing in technology as an operational and maintenance expense. That's important because those expenses are passed on to ratepayers in different ways, and the emergence of all these new products and technologies is forcing utilities to say, well, well, how do I even allocate resources to it? And once I do allocate resources to it, how do I appropriately um, spread those costs across the organization, who is actually going to be using these things to provide value. So I don't think that that was talked about enough, but it actually was a very big challenge that uh, was probably already occurring. But I think it's just becoming highlighted more and more as different technology solutions are on the market and people are buying different things and trying to integrate them. But how do you classify this and actually pay for it? It's, it's, a, big, it's a big issue.
4: Mm-hmm. That's a great point. If if I think that we've missed one major trend uh, in the media covering uh, the energy space, I would say it was one that probably was right there in front of us all to begin with, and, and that is how uh, renewable targets and decarbonization has really, really flourished in 2018, even in the political climate mm-hmm. at the national level that was... Uh, incentivizing a more traditional approach. I don't think at the start of 2018 that people could have predicted that simultaneously uh, California would go and say, we're going to be 100% decarbonized by 2045, and Excel Energy would say that they were going to be 100% renewable by 2050. There was just such a focus on what was going on at the national political and regulatory perspective that we missed, I believe, some of those important undercurrents that are pushing more and more utilities, more and more municipalities, uh, towards that, that re-
0: those renewable targets. Erin Otan, what are your energy predictions for 2019?
3: Um, well, Z Prime actually has a new event that we're gonna be hosting called the WE3 Summit, where we're gonna be focusing on the water energy nexus. And I think that it's going to be a really big conversation in the coming year. I have noticed it over the past few years. It's been coming more into the conversation. But um, just with climate change at the top of everyone's minds, with the wildfires in California, um, droughts around the country, I was just reading an article about how the endowment fund at Harvard is investing in water rights, and I just think it's going to be a really big issue.
0: I think you're very right about that. Mm -hmm. Aaron Hardig, predictions for 2019.
1: Well, I think uh, there are a lot of things that are coming in 2019 that I know that you guys will cover, but what I'm looking forward to researching the most and kind of following is this idea of uh change management and the changing workforce utilities are struggling to revolutionize digitally but there is a very human aspect to what is happening to these organizations taking people on a a digital transformation is never an easy journey but couple that with the current workforce that is not too digitally native requires a lot of thought around how to ensure that the adoption of new technologies uh, within organizations is done in a meaningful way. A lot of utilities will start to make technology investments around digital transformation, but messing up the implementation of that technology can Decrease the value of that investment by up to 60-70% because you didn't understand the way that maybe your workforce was going to interact with that technology. So following that and seeing how utilities start to manage people in different ways and manage the interactions between technology and people is going to be very interesting. I think that there are going to be a lot of different approaches to it especially given the different services that people provide. But it's going to be an area of, uh, I think people are going to be creative in that space and trying to figure out what works and, and what doesn't work. And I think it'll be really interesting to, to watch that.
0: Uh, Chris, w- uh, what's, your, what's your hot energy take for 2019? As I'm thinking about what the
4: we're going to focus on, what the, the industry is going to talk a lot about, I think that the biggest thing that is is going to continue to be dominating the conversation is building a digital grid and becoming a digital utility. I say that because I know first of all we're releasing a major report, uh, a really interactive infographic in early January about the digital utility uh, and maturing up the value chain of how to become that digital utility. So I know that's going to be a major topic for us, and I I think it's going to uh, make some waves in the the industry. Additionally, I would also be, this is harking back to my point of what maybe we missed a little bit in 2018, this conversation of renewables, did all of the things that occurred in 2018 uh, in California and Excel and many other utilities accelerate the trend for the moving towards uh, 100% renewables, or was that an outlier, and we'll go back to this gradual uh, move towards renewables and distributed energy resources at the pace that I think people were expecting. And if you'll allow me one more, one concept that I am really interested in and seeing talked about more is this idea of digital resiliency. Resiliency has been the buzzword of the industry over the last two years. Two-ish years coming out of uh, storms. What what I think is going to happen is that as cybersecurity becomes uh, a an increasingly important topic and one where we can't prevent every single cyber attack, utilities are going to have to uh, think about resiliency both from a physical perspective but also from that digital perspective. If you can't pre- prevent the attack, how quickly can you recover, and what can you mitigate uh, in those cyber attacks?
0: I think you. I think you did that just long enough for Shay to finish his cookie. <laughs> so, uh, Shay, what do? You, what you? Uh, where do you think the conversations are going to go in 2019?
2: Yeah. So um, this. I don't, I don't know if this is more a personal thing or a an industry-wide thing but um, I think it stems from a few conversations I've been having and there's this recognition by the utility industry especially the forward-thinking utilities across the country that they play within an even um, bigger system the city the regions they dwell in or, or do business in. And um, there are probably as much challenges as there are opportunities for utilities to start to think of themselves less as utilities, but more as platforms that enable people to live in those cities. Um, working with the city managers, the, the private and public entities that serve us. Um, Generally, and um, I think the conversation started and will continue around transportation. It's it's this. It's crazy how um, the impact of microtransit has sort of jolted utilities to think there's there's something going on at the city scale that we should be a part of. Um, I think that would be a big a big conversation. Um, going into 2019, or at least I hope it will be, we have a conference that will start to talk about that. Um, that's February
4: the, 25th and 26th yes, in San, San Antonio. Antonio. Yes, yeah, right. yeah, I'll yeah. be there.
2: <laughs> um, that's at the macro, macro level. Um, at the micro, at the individual, I think the conversation will be about the, I think Erin touched on this, and maybe even Chris as well, But um, I hope I'm not repeating by suggesting that um, we're now so conscious of the value of our own data and how that enables companies to personalize experiences for us. But we're, as individuals now, um, struggling with, with what that exchange looks like. Unfortunately for the utility industry, the industry we dwell in is um, we, we're behind the ball on that conversation. Where We're still thinking customer centricity when uh, companies have truly, truly moved to personali- personalization at the level that is um, predictive. Uh, we're not there. We don't, we don't even know how that game is played. Um, but I think we're again, not even
4: at customer centricity yet yeah so. yeah
2: <laughs> truth be told we're not um, so uh, I think the, the in 2019 there will be a, a lot of um, teeth gnashing about what should we do at the individual customer level because if we don't figure something out as a utility industry um, other companies will totally come in and and serve the customers. I can't remember who said it um, at one of these conferences, that if we don't start predicting what customers want, someone else will give it to them.
1: Shea, but you've talked about this before. We actually covered it, and you covered it, in the research panel that we did at ETS 18. Yeah. And this is something that utilities are talking about. It was at a conference last week, and somebody asked a question around is it appropriate to do more segmentation around demographics of your customers? And I was sitting there thinking, isn't the big, one of the biggest <laughs> problems for utilities is that the traditional demographics that they look at really aren't representative of how, uh, or they're not really useful in forecasting usage and demand. And this is something that you talk about. Utilities yeah. really aren't even looking at the right place. So, so true. they need to start looking at other things to understand how customers are going to interact so with
2: So true. Yeah, thanks so much for pointing that out. Because uh, uh, you, you attend conferences that are not utility-centric and customer-focused, and you start to see a, a totally different way of assessing customer needs. Um, we're still stuck in the demographic mindset, it no longer applies companies in other industries that have been talking about demographics not applying for the last 3-4 years we're just getting to a point of trying to use demographics to personalize it, w- it won't work um, uh, we're, we're, I think as a company we're going to be doing a lot more uh, of educating the industry about what those taste profiles look like, what the um, uh, the underlying intersections of need, uh, what opportunities those things will create. So uh, it's a great point. Yeah, we've talked o- we've talked a lot
0: about the different uh, you know the different technologies, EVs, uh, you know, th- uh, data, all sorts of things. But we haven't talked about the new hotness that everyone wants to know about blockchain, and I know there's some there's some tension in the in the <laughs> podcast group about about blockchain. Uh, Chris, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you what do you think blockchain? What do you think the conversation around blockchain will be? I think it's going to capture a lot of the imagination in the industry and
4: uh, trying to develop more and more use cases around it. It is such a trend in other industries. Uh, and from a financial perspective, from an individual control perspective, from a uh, potential implication when it comes to distributed energy resource trading, I, I think that the potential is there for blockchain to capture uh, the imagination of both consumers and the utility.
0: And Shay, do you feel the same way? I don't. <laughs>
2: uh, but that's the beauty of, of the team. We can we can engage in these conversations and inform each perspective. I, I think blockchain is not a general purpose technology. While it's interesting, um, it is this concept of trustless in- interactions. I don't need to know who's on the other side of the transaction, but there will be no change in the terms we've set. Um, and they will have to make good on that other side of the transaction. Uh, it actually comes at a time when trust well, trust is eroding in the general discourse, frankly. Um, and so, trust is eroding in general discourse. We're trusting our technologies less, and blockchain is sort of the intersection of those two things. So, I don't think the adoption will be as. Uh, as uh, rapid as we as as some other folk think, especially in an industry that is traditionally conservative, we are not the earliest adopters of anything. Um, and to to see these headwinds and then dive into blockchain, I don't think it'll 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 happen. Um, that being said, there there will be I I I think a, a crazy prediction. There will be some companies, and this goes into a broader conversation about how smaller companies can achieve the scale that it required lots, a lot of money, few decades, and tens of thousands of employees to achieve the scale of operation and revenue and business. I do think technologies like blockchain with AI kicked in, we will see... In the next few years, some creatively just disruptive companies that won't need too many people will be able to manage distrib- distributed assets um, in different locations with uh, t- the interactive platforms that blockchain provides and grow big quickly. I it's a uh, it's that convergence thing. A few factors are coming in, and it won't be blockchain by itself. It will play a part. Um, but uh, industry-wide, I don't think so. To,
4: to that point, Shay, I, I would say that it is that we're going to see the, the first uh, innovation of, of widespread blockchain outside of the United States. Yes. It, it's yes. going to be in sub-Saharan Africa or Southeast Asia. Exactly. Uh, maybe even more... Innovative parts of Europe, where where it will uh, or Asia that, that yep. it'll come to full fruition before it ever comes to the United States. I, I have to
2: agree, and uh, a, a beautiful example of that is mobile payments. Mobile payments. Um, I think I was in Kenya a few years ago, and mobile payments were like standard. You, you weren't thinking about it as as disruptive. I still see people. I gaze at you when you use your Apple Pay at a store. Like, oh, that is. Folk have been making payments with mobile uh, their mobile devices for years and pesa and stuff in Southern Africa. Tack on blockchain, tack on AI, whatever it is, and, and that leap end con- renewables, and that leap just continues. So, I agree. I um, that I, I still don't think it will be as as massive as we hope, but we'll see. We'll
4: see. I, I'm glad that we could find a, a degree of agreement <laughs> on this.
0: Uh... <laughs> yeah, I didn't bring this up for you guys to agree. Come on, get the. Box oh, and all right, sorry. Out. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We. Um... Aaron, thoughts on blockchain?
1: I'm kind of in the middle. I you know I understand the use case of blockchain from the decentralized ledger point of view managing ders and renewables on the grid in terms of understanding and understanding transactions how those are occurring assigning value assigning value uh extracting information that way i don't know enough about it to completely counter shay but it's being researched in smaller companies and small Uh, small groups within larger utilities. It's just these small innovation teams, these small separate, not silos, but kind of separate business units within utilities that are exploring this, which indicates that it's not... Part of the primary business objective right now, it's you go over there and just see what you can do. And if you think of something great, let us know yeah. and we'll try it out. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's where we are. Yeah,
0: I think that puts a nice cap on it. Uh, I, of course, think that blockchain is going to be universal by the end of 2019. All like utility bills are going to be paid with Ethereum. Uh, that's 2019. <laughs> um Shay, thank you very much for coming on again and giving us some great insights on the industry. Thanks so
2: much. It's always so much fun hanging out with the pod. Aaron, thanks for being here today. It was good to have you on the show.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on my first ever podcast.
2: Yeah,
0: Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us and being on the podcast today, Chris. My pleasure, Dylan. Happy New Year, everyone. Aaron Hardick, thank you for capping another great year of uh, podcasting with me.
1: I can't believe, I know we actually did like our one year anniversary episode already, but still I can't believe it's been another year. We're sitting here doing a recap of 2018 and 2019 predictions. I can't imagine what we'll be talking about December of next year, where we are and what we look forward to. So thanks for having me back on.
0: Yeah, I can't believe we brought back hamster wheel technology in 2019. You can find our media and research at ETSInsights.com. You can find us on social media at Z prime underscore research, at dylockwood, Lockwood, at Aaron underscore Hardick, at Chris underscore Moyer 13, at Aaron OTAN, and at Shea Fabby. My name is Dylan, and we wish you all a happy holiday season and a happy new year.